He flinched a little when a passerby lit a cigarette, but John Jones kept up with his story. Apparently, his friends were getting suspicious of him. Something about being too good at sleuthing, climbing, stunts, and magic acts. He was looking for tips on proving them wrong. And if anyone knew the tricks of secret identities, it was us. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. Okay, so I think we both agree that there is a marked increase in quality in Martian Manhunter right now. However, whether or not it makes it any better is still up for debate, I think is what we're saying. I'll, I'll agree with better. I won't agree with good. Okay. But, yeah, it's, it's on the full docket, on average, I'd say it's worked its way up to mediocre. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's fair, I think. Uh, also, hello, we're about to cover uh, a second year or so? About a second year of, of John Jones, or Jean Jones, the Martian Manhunter. Uh, Joanne, are you prepped and ready? We, we kind of went a little fast last time. We're going to go kind of probably equally as fast because there's, a lot, there's very little of note in these. And then we get to talk a little bit about Justice League, because yes. now I have seen it and we can share thoughts. That is true. All right, so we're going to start with Detective Comics number 239, January 1957. Happy New Year. Um, Martian Manhunter gets put on a fire investigation team with the fire department to catch an arsonist. It goes about as well as you can expect for a Martian whose main weakness is fire. But guess what? He catches the guy and that's what you get, is pretty much stories all working out in a neat little bow for John Jones regardless of the obstacles that he gets into. And I actually want to comment on that really briefly. We get that same kind of setup a couple times of, hey, you're assigned to the arson squad, or just, hey, help us with this specific, like, uh, in a fireworks manufacturer, manufactory. Right. And, like, at a certain point, like, it feels like he's got the seniority and the clout to be able to say, hey, guys, I've got a thing about fire. Right. It, it feels like that, at a certain point, would be realistic to be able to get away with yeah also it also it feels like his commanding officer has about as much of a grasp on protocol as commissioner gordon does quite likely like i can bring my young man gentleman friend on these cases with me and have him look at crime scenes hey my best detective you're now part of this squad that's not how that works you can't just transfer somebody to different departments i don't think they're like fire investigators i think are under the purview of the fire department I think you're right. Like, yeah, there's, an yeah, yeah, yeah. there's an arson squad in the police department, but fire investigators are their own separate entity outside of the police force, and they operate under the fire department's jurisdiction. Hey, now, you're the police department's all-star. Get your fire department hat on. Yeah. Go play. Pretty much, yeah. It is, it is uh, Smash Mouth. Detective Comics, number 240, February 1957. Martian Manhunter helps a cop on his last day try and become a hero by helping him nab some criminals that are being elusive to the other members of the department and he kind of fabricates some scenarios where the cop would run into them and and the cop who is actually pretty good at his job apprehends them appropriately and it's kind of nice and it's a sweet thing for him to do it's a super batman 50s story yeah uh detective comics number 241 march 1957 uh martian manager stops a guy from lighting museums on fire and not just like arty museums like museums of any kind Specifically, one of them is a naval ship museum, which is a dock. Like it's impressively large. Right. It, I mean, it's holding like legit. Like the where's the constellation? The USS Constellation based out of? Oh gosh, I don't know. Is that a San Diego thing? Might be. That might be. But one way or another, 
big old like regular multi-mass ships. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite an impressive thing for whatever state this is and whatever city <laughs> it is. Presumably one that has a coast that it can have this large naval museum at. But it, I think the naval museum is indoors. Like they no, it it's drawn like it, it. can't. That's preposterous. Uh, but all right. Indoor Naval Museum. God, okay. What will they think of next? <laughs> uh, Detective Comics, number 242, April 1957. He stops a bunch of criminals from salvaging some loot in the water, and they're using underwater, like, acetylene torches, so mm-hmm. that, I guess, counts as fire, and he has to worry about that fire from weakening him while he's underwater. I like the idea that every so often, like, the DM has to, or the DM <laughs> or the player has to, like, pause the game, hey... What's the ruling for, does this count at, for my uh, one-point flaw? I like well, that. Um, <laughs> I guess it's hot. Would, All right. Would the DM of the... Oh, God. I'm trying to think of what the DM of the, of the DC Universe would be, and I think it's... Oh, God. It, it's not... It's, it's not it, the... It's the Watchers? No, the Watchers DC? Marvel. Okay. What? Uh, the God. Spectre? If not the Spectre, then Schwartz? Hmm. No. Well, because well, I would, I would think, I would think the DM would be the editor of the writers who are technically playing the characters. Yeah. If you do that I, analogy, the DM would be the yeah, the editor okay, in chief yeah. of DC, which, or at least the the major yeah. editor for the books. So it would be Julius Shorts, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> would be uh, okay. the DM. Yeah. There. I, honestly, I think what it comes down to is when you start talking about the DM or the players for the different characters. It, you, you can't use existing people because it's more interesting to have like char- uh, players who have like personality characteristics that are reflected like right. through a mirror darkly right. of the characters. At any any road, uh, <laughs> Detective Comics number two forty three, May nineteen fifty seven. Tor, the Martian robot, uh, the first real kind of villain that we ever really see who's yeah. worth the Martian Manhunter's time, is just this robot that the Martians made at one point, and then he got banished from the planet. But apparently now Tor has developed the ability to possess people on Earth and has possessed a crime boss, and in doing so has imbued him with some of his abilities and, and attributes. Long story short, uh, the Martian Manhunter kind of knocks the Tor's control of this gangster off of him, and the gangster's like, wow, that was weird, and that's like the end of it. Like, we don't see what happens to Tor... Nothing comes of, like, actually confronting Tor. It's really bizarre. So we don't see what happens, but we can, we do know to a degree, because it's the, like, you've got 24 hours, uh, right. like, he was crumbling to de- dust. It's like, God, it's the, what would you do if this was your last day on Earth? I would taunt and menace my enemies. Pretty much, yeah. Detective Comics, number 244, June 1957. He, uh, <laughs> this is stupid. John becomes a stuntman while on vacation to help out his friend's movie. So, I will say this. Again, you know this if you've been listening to the podcast for a long time. I'm a fan of when characters have friends. I like that John Jones has friends in a myriad of different walks of life, different jobs. I like the fact that he knows somebody in the film industry. Somewhere close to vicinity of whatever city and state he lives in. No, you can't just be a stuntman. Legally, that is a terrible idea. I get that it's the 50s, close to the 60s, but that's stupid. Had he been a consultant and then, like, 
made himself look like a different person and then convinced them, like, I'm a stuntman. And then, like, John was like, I gotta go to the bathroom and then turned into the stuntman and did the stunts. I would have been like, that's cute or clever or whatever. It's it's par for the course. But this is just like, guys, can we get over the the idea that the main character can do all these things? Because it starts to be more suspicious that you're able to do all this shit than it is you doing your superpowers. Yeah. Like, that's literally the thing that's bo- bothering me now is that John Jones, the detective, is now an accomplished circus ma- magician, a stuntman of incredible caliber, a great detective, and apparently like a death-defying swimmer in other scenarios. There's literally no way anyone's buying that this guy is like a normal dude. I, I really like that that's what you latch onto, the fact that it makes his secret identity... Complete and utter bullshit. Right. He stands out more in his secret identity than he ever really would as a Martian because he can keep such a low profile with his myriad of powers that he just, like, makes himself look so outstanding as a normal person. This is... John Jones, the human persona, is the guy they write cracked articles about. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's It's the weirdest shit to me because... Clark would never do this. Yeah. Clark would never say, I can be a stuntman, or I can, you know, save this person, or I'll do this, or whatever. He gets put in those positions. Like, remember that one time he became, like, police chief for, like, a week? But, like, everyone knew it was Clark, and everyone's like, but it's still Clark Kent. Like, he's not Mm -hmm. a genius detective, and he's not suddenly brave. It's just, we have made Clark Kent a stooge. And peer pressure is the required ingredient as opposed to him like standing up for it because whenever Clark did stuff that was out of character for Clark Kent he always took the glasses off and changed his face and made himself look different and very clearly said he wasn't Clark Kent Mm -hmm. so that's the thing is that John Jones whom everyone apparently knows and is a famous detective in parts unknown USA is standing out way too much for a secret identity. And the Martian Manhunter is really bad at this. It is Jay Garrick levels of using your powers in ways <laughs> that you really shouldn't. To And in the, in the hopes that no one recognizes. You ran under your own name faster than every Olympic runner ever at super speed. And you, and you entered yourself under as Jay Garrick. Are you stupid? <laughs> Like, the only person who does equivalent levels of nonsense to Martian Manhunter in the Silver Age so far is Aquaman. But he's Aquaman. He has no secret identity. So it's okay for him to be everything. So to me, I'm like, I don't care that Aquaman's a stuntman or a movie consultant or whatever because everyone knows that's Aquaman. That's just what he does. And that's cool. Versus John Jones, you're a detective. You pay taxes and you live in an apartment. You presumably have a dog, I guess, named Saturn or Jupiter or whatever you're calling it because it never showed up again. And you're also a stuntman. And, like, you can do magic tricks that literally defy all logic to circus people who do magic all the time. Who are you, sir? Like, where did you come from? And you just walked up to the police department going, I want a job as a detective. And you're really good? Almost one would say improbably or impossibly good. Yeah. (laughs) Like, he's the most infuriatingly uncurated character in DC so far. I want, like, an AU where the question is investigating him. Investigating John Jones? I would love that. I would love an internal affairs investigation and the internal affairs officer is 
Vic Sage or Renee Montoya mm-hmm. investigating John Jones because someone's like someone's whack about this guy and not in a bad way but like who the hell is he? Like, yeah, it's like we're not concerned because he's not doing bad things, but at the same time, like something's up. Like we're all in agreement that something's up. Like no newspaper has been like, who the hell is this guy? I mean, like, if nothing else, he's a great puff piece. Yeah, it's just like. Star cop John Jones acts as stuntman in new movie coming out this fall. Star cop John Jones helps uh, the police department in undercover sting it at circus and does amazing magic tricks to fool the to fool the criminals. It's like his name is in the pa- has got to be in the paper constantly. Mm-hmm. So he's not just like a oh yeah you're a cop that's cool. Like people recognize him. Criminals recognize him. That's true. We do start to get those moments so now. He has notoriety and incredible and and uses his notoriety frequently to do jobs and also like volunteers for impossible tasks and is successful every time god his coworkers must hate him yeah i don't <laughs> he's he and if if they don't he's got to be infuriatingly nice yeah which has got to be like so... that's part of the mystique everyone must hate him no that's the thing he's so he cool he cooks cookies He's a great... Well, he wouldn't cook because that's fire. You're, oh, you're right. Uh, <laughs> he yeah, buys he, cookies. Would he, would he bake? Because bake is heat. Bake isn't necessarily... Like, he doesn't even like matches, man. Yeah. Like, okay. I think, yeah, I think yeah. if he wants any sort of food, it's like... He brings donuts every Friday. Yeah, like, he's the guy who I'm sure, like, orders pizza for everyone at the end of the week or something oh, yeah. like that. Like, he's that guy. Like, anybody want to go out for drinks? Like, I'm buying. <laughs> like, that's his claim to fame is he's the guy that everybody likes and it sucks and everyone hates it because it's like you can't hate him because he's so cool yeah yeah that's I'm John Jones that. oh god anyway, sorry <laughs> no uh, that's a good tangent that's the yeah. thing is like this idea of the character is in so many ways so much cooler than what we actually get that the actual secret identity like yeah. it would be more boring that he's a man from Mars than this incredibly talented well-traveled, skillful detective. Other thing that I would really love is, like, something that takes it in the other direction to a degree where he is, like, that kind of consciously super, like, all the pieces are there for everyone to like him, and they kind, and they do, but he's not, it's not effortless, where he is the guy who, like, he, he buys the round, but he doesn't, he isn't aware of how much everybody sort of like really likes him. Uh, he doesn't. Uh, yeah. He doesn't think that they like him. It's like the oh, this is this is kind of what I do. Like I I volunteer for the things. I buy pizza. It's my turn. It, like he thinks it's his turn, but everyone's like, we love you because you do this. Like that. I would really love like the office story of, hey, we've got this really cool friend who we're trying to make be more social. Oh, oh, you're an alien. That actually explains a lot. Like, okay, office office team, like, let's figure out how to, like, integrate. Yeah. Oh, it's the Vision. I yeah. just described the it's, Vision. It's, it's the, the, vision. The, the modern Vision comic. Of, right, with the, uh, the family and everything. Yeah, okay. Right. Damn, I guess I gotta read that. I kind of now want a Martian Manhunter comic that is just that, of him, like, tr- like trying so hard and trying so um, completely honestly mm-hmm. to be human that it works and he doesn't mm-hmm. see it working. Yeah. Like and yeah. not and not in like a dumb way, but just like, yeah, like, is the... this, like this is what I'm supposed to do, right? And everyone's mm-hmm. like, but we love that. Like it, we think it's really sweet. We want to give back to you. And he's like, but I'm an alien. They're like, that's 
it's fine, dude. We don't care. You're a really cool person. John Jones, It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I would watch that. Luther is the bank manager. Yeah. You're welcome, DC. That's for free. Because uh, it's better than this. Even though this was written, like, what, 40, 50, 60 years ago? Don't worry. It's, we're not holding it against you, DC. <laughs> um, Detective Comics, number 245, July 1957. He uh, gets in a tough or a tussle with some gangsters who think they figure out that he's a Martian, but really finds a clever way of just saying, like, no, you guys are just idiots. And I'm not afraid of fire by, like, making a type of fire that doesn't burn. And it freaks them out. It's, it's very bizarre and silly and contrived, but, like, bottom line is they think that they find out his secret identity and they're wrong. Yeah. Honestly, it feels like DC starting to run through their playbook of what kind of stories they can tell. Right. It's it's like they, they, it's like they did the Golden Age in that first year for his entire character, and now mm-hmm. they're like, okay, um, now what do we do? What have we done with Superboy? Uh, Copy-paste. Yeah. Detective Comics, number 246, August 1957. The first quote-unquote love interest for John Jones? Diane Mead. Diane is the daughter of the commissioner and she kind of just has the hots for John because he's attractive and good at what he does. What do you know? And uh, she kind of shadows him after asking if she could and completing her emergency policewoman's exam, Mm -hmm. which is all cool and good so she at least is good at her job too. And the whole issue is just him trying to be him and not give away his secret identity while also bringing her along on the case. It's cute. And yeah. he kind of says, like, she's attractive for an Earth girl and blah, 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 blah. But it's like, it never goes anywhere because Diane never shows up again. Yeah. Which, that surprises me. Like, I, I had this thought. We get pretty deep in. Like, we're, what, two, three years in by at this least, point? At least the end of the second year at this point. And not even a sidekick. I mean, bro, we had the dog. We did. Like, you think if they're not going to at least give him a dog, they're going to give him a sidekick? They can't even handle giving him a dog. Yeah. Like, fucking... And Ace the Bad Hand is in full swing right now. Like, Aquaman had Topo before he had friggin' Aqualad. Topo was the best. He had, like, a goddamn crazy friggin' octopus buddy. And, like, that was easy. Mm Mm-hmm. It did everything. Like, they didn't work hard at making Topo good at what he did. It was just like, is uh, an octopus familiar? You know? Because Aquaman, I guess, like, now, I guess, is a sea witch in my head. Uh, so that's Canon. the question, is whether he's a caster or if he's a ranger. I like the idea that he's a, a water ranger. And Topo is his familiar. Well, also, witches have familiars, too, so... I mean, that's the thing, is, uh, I think familiar is more associated with casters, uh, and oh. companion is more associated with rangers. Well... Shows how much I know. I, I might be, I might be a nerd. <laughs> no, I was, all right, well, that's fair. Uh, Detective Here, Comics. Uh, I'm not going to. I say in the middle of our podcast about golden and silver age superheroes. Yeah, what, you, what, what are we doing? You thought we were like the coolest kids in school right now? I, I just want. Can we schedule someone to like burst in through a door some point and, and just say nerds? nerds! I'm sure yeah, Shannon exactly. would do it for free. Uh, <laughs> Detective Comics number two forty seven, September nineteen fifty seven. He stops uh, some smugglers who are using fireworks as signals to tell them, like, which docks to go to. It's kind of funny because he ends up messing with the fireworks while they're in the sky. It's kind of cute, but mm-hmm. it's also kind of pointless. It's like a super soaker. Yeah, it's kind of, it's funny. Uh, Detective Comics, number 248, October 1957. Uh, John gets hit by a live wire in a storm and temporarily forgets who he is and realizes he has superpowers in the midst of being a detective. Photographs himself doing some superpowered things. Gets hit in the head with a paint can and realizes he took pictures of... Ev- he made photographic evidence of his superpowers and subsequently removes 
those from existence. It's a stupid circular story. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Detective Comics number 249, November 1957. He impersonates the governor to protect him from an assassination attempt. Now, here's something that I'm going to point out that uh, we, we can learn from the fact that the governor is in the town that he's in. He is in the, he's in the capital of a state. So, let's actually bring it, it is, up. Is it, it is it, the is governor. It, it is I double-checked. Oh, I thought it's it was the, the governor, judge. Not the mayor. It is the I governor. It was a I get, okay, I fair am, enough. I am right. 100% And it would saying. make sense that it would be the governor, because the whole thing previously has been like, oh, the governor can grant uh, pardons. Right, let me just oh. double-check, because I want to I be sure when I say this, because it is an important fact for placing where this guy is. Page 161... That would change a lot. The Governor's Mansion. Damn. So, All right. John Jones is in the capital of a state. St. Paul. I don't think it's actually St. Paul. No, but there, I'm like, yeah, but... I'm, I'm, wherever he is, it's a, it's a state capital. Just mm-hmm. so you know, because there's otherwise it would be the mayor. Mm-hmm. So, there's a fun fact for you. Detective Comics number 250, December 1957. While in a hospital after getting injured, John has to stop some villains... Uh, in between the hour breaks when the nurse visits him, which is kind of just a stupid, like, why are we doing this? Uh, so, like, she's like, oh, uh, you know, I'll be back in an hour to give you dinner. And he's, he is on a case while he gets injured and goes, well, I have an hour's time to find these guys. And goes out, finds them, comes back to his room, has dinner. Then she leaves. She's like, I'll be back in an hour for this. He goes, okay. She she leaves. He goes out, goes back. And it's he does this whole, like, earth, land, and sea thing. Or, like, uh, yeah. oh, or no, wow, sea, land, yeah. and air it's each one is like one's in a plane, one's on a boat, and one's on a car. It's mm-hmm. a weird, it's a weird threes rule of three thing. I don't know. I, I didn't think about that particular portion of it. Uh, Detective Comics number two fifty one, January nineteen fifty eight. Happy New Year. John pretends to be Mister Zero, a criminal mastermind, so that he can get in with a criminal gangster named Mister Big, and then subsequently arrest him. Detective Comics number two fifty two, February nineteen fifty eight. He battles a criminal with elaborate inventions such as a gigantic vacuum cleaner and like an acetylene <laughs> flamethrower torch thing that can bore tunnels into solid earth. Also, when he's Mister Zero, he's using his superpowers to outcommit crimes than the crimes that are, that are being committed. So basically, these guys steal a bunch of tapestries, and he just uses his levitation powers to put the tapestries in his truck and then drive off at an impossibly fast speed. And they're like, "This guy's a friggin' genius." It was like. Shame on you for being so transparent. Detective Comics number 253, March 1958. He helps a newspaper friend get scoops to stop an evil newspaper guy from uh, basically being a racketeering boss and shutting down all the newspapers in town so that he can hike up prices for newspapers. Mind you, here's another job that John is apparently really good at. Being a reporter and getting scoops over real reporters who are good at their job. Presumably good at their job. So, John Jones is a stuntman, a reporter, a cop. And a magician? Cool. And a very good father figure. And a good, I guess. Detective Comics number, uh... uh, Detective Comics number 254, April 1958. He fights a literal crime army away with his superpowers. These guys who essentially have made, like, a regimented unit of criminals um, who wear army fatigues and have tanks and shit attack the town and, like, commit really well-thought-out crimes. And as such, he just kind of uses his powers while he's invisible to protect people and freak the guys out into surrendering. Detective Comics number 255, May 1958. This is the last one. John helps his friend in an adventurer's club save him from murderers who are trying to kill him while they're on, ex- like, expeditions. Yeah. It's 
I guess also John is good at Adventurers Club stuff too, like going on safari and climbing mountains and diving. Guess, that is, I didn't think about that, but that's the inference that everyone would sort of take. Yeah, it was like, oh, your friend is also good at mountain climbing and deep sea diving and being on safari with us, because they, as in an Adventurers Club, you would assume all these people do that mm-hmm. as a hobby, so they've got at least some hours in it. More than just someone going, I want to go on a mountain climbing adventure. And they're, like, climbing a mountain. It's not yeah. like, when some people go, I'm going to go mountain climbing. And they're, like, really hiking. They use the term hike. They use the term climbing instead of hiking. These are, like, carabiners and, and like, picks and stuff. And John's just like, yeah, whatever, fuck it. So, also, John Jones is good at that. So, that's the end of our summary. I know we kind of got off track there with the uh, the, the marvelous Mr. Jones. Where that? Ooh. Ooh, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good reference. So, so we're going to do that. And uh, I think what it comes down to is uh, I want to take a second here and look at the four characters that we've got right now in the Silver Age. So you've got Green Lantern and you've got The Flash. The Flash and Green Lantern are probably the two best characters that we've got right now. Yeah. I would say The Flash is probably the best because he has a sense of place, he has friends, he has a loved one, and he has super villains that he can fight. Green Lantern is second purely because he has friends, a loved one, and uh, a sense of place, but no villains really, except for Hector Hammond, but that was a one-time thing. They don't come back like Gorilla Grodd does. Well, the Weaponers, uh, but that's just But they're, that's a group. It's not like yeah, a singular that's villain. That's true. There's no uh, there, like, he doesn't opposite have, number. Well, yeah, but he doesn't have a Grodd, mm-hmm. bottom line. Yeah. Like, he had, he had the one guy, he had Hector Hammond once, and that was as much as we saw Captain Cold and the mm-hmm. Pied Piper... Guys like that. So, one does not a rogues gallery make. Yeah. Aquaman. Again, Aquaman's shenanigans are completely okay. And I like Aquaman as a character because he is what he says on the tin. I am Aquaman and I am the superhero of the sea. So him doing all the stuff that he does is completely okay. Somehow, they have written a Golden Age character in the Silver Age and tried to make him do what the Silver Age characters do. So... He, they're trying to make Martian Manhunter like Aquaman, except no water and being a detective. Mm-hmm. He's the detective that can do everything, much like the water superhero who can do everything. And it doesn't work. To make a boy band analogy, he's the oldest guy in the group. You're not sure why this guy's there, because he's not as attractive as the younger guys, and he's clearly not the front man. He's not the Justin Timberlake of the group. Mm-hmm. He's the oldest guy there, and you're like, you're not supposed to be here. <laughs> like, you get that vibe from him, like, you're probably 18, and everyone else here is, like, 15, 16. You're the one who's literally legally an adult, and you don't belong in a boy band. <laughs> because yeah. because if it's if they're over 18, it's a men's group. Mm. It's like a men's musical group. Like, I wouldn't call Destiny's Child a girl band. I would call... Um, Fifth Harmony is a girl's band, or because it's... They're young, they're teenagers. If mm-hmm. they're still teenagers below legal age, it's a girl's group or a girl, yeah. you know. Uh, and also a girl's the group. audience as well. Right, the, the audience that, that they cater to is, mm-hmm. is the younger teenage crowd. The second you become of legal age, to me you're a, a women's group or whatever. Or not, just, and just a group. Yeah, you yeah. become a group, not like a, not like a, a band or whatever, because frankly, it's not that you can't reach the same crowd that you have been reaching to, but there's something about being girls and boys that makes what you're doing slightly more innocent and fun and Mm -hmm. cute and for the heart of it 
And Jones, John Jones, is very clearly an adult trying to be a kid with these guys. He's trying to be as cool as these other characters, and he's failing miserably because no one's buying it. Like, I'm, like, watching this, and I'm like, you're the thing that's out of place. Mm. Because you don't fit here. There's something about you that's wrong. Not in a bad way, but you don't belong with this group. And that's the feeling I have with this. Yeah. And it's, and it's, he could have his own group of characters that are much like Mm -hmm. him. He would fit in perfectly with the Sandman. He would be uh, great with the Spectre. John Jones is a JSA character. And that's what's weird about him. He's a, he's a man out of time and space. It's weird. Yeah, I'll agree with that. On a, on a better note, though, the stories are, you know, six pages. They're clean. They're more clean cut. He is in the Martian form, like, a yeah. good portion of it. It's better. It still, still doesn't quite belong, though. One thing I'll throw out, especially with regards to, like, comparing previous episode, our coverage, versus what we covered this time... Uh, much more expressive. And I think yeah. a lot of that comes down to the fire. Because yeah. he's actually... Like, there's there's a lot of fire. There are a lot of stories that have one or more instances of, oh my god, fire! And he... Like, this is his emoting. Uh, mm-hmm. He does actually have expressions. And he, he, even if it takes, like, peril to life and limb uh, and a panic little, for him yeah. to, like, actually emote... Okay, we've actually got a sense of character to a degree. Right. We don't have a sense of place. We don't have much character beyond that. But he's not just stoic anymore. Right. He's definitely getting a little histrionic at times. <laughs> More, maybe a bit. Maybe a little a bit. arm flaily. But that's uh, that's <laughs> that's just how he emotes. It's fine. Yeah. But I think that's it for me. All right. Uh, actually, let's... One bit that I want... One little addition to that list of, like, comparing what we talked about last time versus what it's like here. Uh, Panel layouts are still the same. Yeah. Just to clarify, we're still looking at those, like, six panels, that grid, basically nothing's changed at at all with that. Uh, And that we'll figure in later on. Uh, Fire. So we talked, actually, just now about fire, and there's a specific bit that I want to touch on with it. Uh... This version of the fire weakness bugs me because it's the incon- it, partially it's the inconsistency. Sometimes uh, Jean is completely panicked by the slightest bit of flame. You talk about uh, right. cigarettes. I think in the last episode you talked about the mere mention of fire. Right. Uh, sometimes he's panicked like that. Sometimes he's composed enough to save himself. It's just that his powers are weakening, and it doesn't really feel clear. Like sometimes he does like the panic. Sometimes it's just. I'm powers weakening. Right. And I haven't looked at the writers, how consistent it is or isn't, but I assume it's still jumping all over the place like it was last time. Kind of, yeah. It's mm-hmm. sometimes it's he can get one power off being really close to a fire that would have felled him before, and other times it's like, I feel like you're a lot stronger than that. It fluctuates for purpose of plot. Yes. And this especially does. That's, that's a good acronym purpose of plot, pop. <laughs> Oh, I need to remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the... Tangent. One of the other things that I was thinking about in the build-up to this is what I was calling, like, fiat problems and fiat solutions. Like, this is the solution to this challenge because we said so. Mm. This power... Either this power exists or 
this problem just popped up and we are handing him the uh, sudden brainstorm that he can fix it in this way instead of it being like, oh yeah, that's a logical way of like sort of going from the power set that you know to, oh yeah, this absolutely, it's understandable that I would just, the next panel, oh, this is the way of applying that stuff to this problem, fiat solution. Yeah, okay, I can see that. Going back to fire, the other bit of why I'm bugged by this fire is entirely selfish. I really like the fire panic. Uh, <laughs> I think I think my first exposure to this was uh, Rotschlek, and I'm sure I'm horribly mispronouncing that, uh, from Vampire the Masquerade, where oh. if a vampire is exposed to, exposed to fire or sun, and it's just like, nope, freak the fuck out. Uh, make your willpower save, and if you don't, <laughs> have a fun time, buddy. Yikes. Uh, for Jean specifically, having fire cause this real like bone level panic is it's a great counterpoint to how stoic he normally is like even now modern day like he is very stoic uh and it separates it from the other weaknesses out there like i think of how uh heroes were reacting to or green lantern reacting to the color yellow it's a huh Maybe I might be a little bit unnerved that, oh, I have to figure this out, but it's not a panic anymore. It throws way. him off his game. Yeah. Kryptonite still is like, ah, oh, this is problematic. I don't see, like, holy fuck, holy it shit. It almost hurts Superman more than it does. Yeah. It, it, for, it doesn't panic him. Well, even for John Jones, it almost makes him completely useless. When it, when it goes that route, there are times where it feels like it's just his power sapping, but then there, there are the times where it's it's complete panic, yeah, it's, it's and I freak like out. that version yeah. so much. Uh, it also like it plays up the alienness because it's yeah. like you get the like the fact that that normally like takes him out of the shape shift mode. Like I love that stuff. Like the visuals where oh yeah, by the way, Martian. Yeah, I Man did Hunter. that. I took that a lot too. Uh, one little beat before I start going in more hardcore. Things that annoyed me a lot. Remember yeah. how I mentioned that I have, like, the headers and then bullet points? Uh, yeah, so first off, I beat him because he didn't know that all Martians are weakened by fire. Even robots. That's how he... <laughs> Forget yeah. about that. Yeah, Tor that's the... how he beats Tor. Tor the robots weak to fire. That doesn't make any fucking it sense. It doesn't make any fucking sense. For the purpose of plot. Yep. For pop. Yep. Uh... <laughs> and it makes, like, doubly unsense because it's... A robot that is currently, like, distantly possessing there. a human. It's so weird. It's so weird. It's uh, like, you know what it is? It's not like if you had, like, a crucifix and you were waving it in front of a person who was possessed by a ghost. A thrall You would do, like, yeah, yeah, like, it would be, like, the vampire's cousin possessed this guy <laughs> and you threw garlic at him. And the human's like, stop it. Like, <laughs> That's the natural off. outcome to getting garlic thrown at you. What are you doing? Like, <laughs> why are you wasting garlic? Get this. Get yeah. That, get that yeah. elephant garlic away from me, sir. Uh, oh, also, I will say, just before I, I forget, he straight up punches some people. Yeah. Which I, yeah. I thought was really interesting. Right. He straight, like, gets in fights in these, as opposed to other ones where he just kind of, like, scared people or, like, had them surrender. He knocks mm. some fools out. It was interesting. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. You are quite correct. It's the first level of, like, actual violence for the character. Huh. Yeah. Also, uh, I was bugged by the fact that, and you kind of already touched on this one, the story where he loses his memory briefly. 
And then a bucket hits him on the head, and all the problems magically go away. That just bugs me. It was dumb. It was dumb. That was dumb. Also, for the record, uh, this is me drawing on the one psych class that I took in college. <laughs> uh, I think it's uh, retrograde amnesia. I believe you're correct. Yes. Yeah. So that's that's the one that everybody thinks of, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas what's actually more common is if you actually take brain damage, what's more likely is you lose the ability, however temporarily, to form new uh, short term or have new memories go from short-term memory into long-term memory. I mean, fundamentally, that's kind of what happens with folks who are experiencing dementia, right? Yes, I believe you're correct. But yeah, so, like, apparently Memento is, like, a really good example of, hey, this is actual amnesia. Uh, I remember it was, like, they actually showed the first, like, half hour of uh, of Memento in the class that I was in. Never finished it. I need to. It's a good movie. Yeah. All right. Oh, boy. So, last time I dug into these stories from an, the perspective of character expression and art. What, why, I, a lot of it was, hey, why, is, why don't I like this art? Right. And quantifying all of that and the amount of expressiveness. And we touched a little bit on, I think the phrase that we used was, they were stories without friction. Yeah. Obstacles like popped up and were knocked down. They were aggressively mundane. Yes. And and not just aggressively mundane, but the obstacles didn't feel like obstacles because they were immediately knocked down. Right. Uh paper like, tigers. Yeah. Not, the the visual that I have in my head is like uh carnival and the little Yeah, the the, the, the thing like the... pops up and it's just immediately knocked down. Yeah, like the BB gun targets. Yep. Uh so this time I wanted to dig a little bit more into that uh, and try to try to quantify what it was about the the time from conflict to solution that bugged me so much and compare it to other comics. Right. Uh, so I'm a big believer in letting stories breathe, especially superhero comics. If you want me to empathize with a character and really feel triumphant when they overcome challenges. There needs to be that time between the emergence of the problem and the moment the hero realizes how to beat it. That space between those moments can be despair, it can be self-doubt, it can be the hero drawing on their training or their friends for the strength to overcome it. To me, whenever anyone says that real courage is facing your fears and overcoming them, those are the seconds that they're talking about. So if we're talking about John Johns, or John Johns, as a hero, let's talk about those moments. And boy, howdy, are those moments disappointing. Yep. Which we've kind of talked a little bit about, and I wanted to get, like, the numbers. Uh, I looked through six John Jones stories, and six each of Flash and Green Lantern, to compare how long those moments were. Uh, to give an example, let's say uh, there's a panel where Green Lantern realizes that he can't affect the missile rocketing towards him. Then there's a page of him trying to outfly it then a panel where he realizes that he can lose it by flying through a barn. So that period is page and two panels, or more, most likely I, I kind of record by pages, so it's 1.3 pages. Okay. So, side note, as with the last episode, this does assume that some things are just inherently good for this kind of story. Uh, I'm making the assumption that more breathing space is inherently good. Uh, your mileage may vary, but I think that's close enough to to guarantee true that I'm prepared to take that on faith. Uh, the two important things is that that we're going to come out from this like 
little uh, quantification exercises that, yeah, it's unsatisfying because he knocks the challenges down as soon as they appear, but also that he's going from conflict to conflict to conflict. There are a ton of these conflicts, and as a result, each one is super short. Right. Uh, the Jean Jean stories spend almost no time building up the challenges. Uh, on average, it's about half a page between a challenge being introduced and John figuring out how to overcome it. And since these stories are almost all six panels per page, it's that means there's panel for the challenge being introduced, maybe a panel for reaction. It's like whack a maybe. It's yeah. And then the very next panel is either he has the plan and is enacting it or he just has the plan and he knows how it's going to go. Right. Uh, either way, it's the challenge is raised, oh, fire, and the very next panel is, oh, I've solved it, or I am in the process of solving it, like gotta drowning be, it in water. you got to make the most out of those six pages, man. Well, see, that's where things get interesting, because I, I wanted to quantify how many challenges it was per story, and the word that we used in the Golden Age sort of came back to me, breathless. Yeah, I, th- I think we use that term, and that's absolutely how these feel. It's way too many different actions in one story, so each one winds up being like super short. Uh, in the stories that I looked at, there were fifty percent more conflicts in uh, John Jones stories than in either Flash or Green Lantern. Like they were all average. Uh, Green Lantern and Flash were averaging about two. Like of those, huh? How am I going to resolve this? Moments per story. Martian Manhunter stories are three. Martian Manhunter stories are six pages. Those were both 12 or 13, uh, the ones that I was looking at, at least. Mm-hmm. So, to me, like, the real reason that the conflicts in Martian Manhunter feel so shallow is not that the story is short. Can't use that as an excuse. It's because the story is splitting its attention so much. And little additional bit of evidence to this. Uh, so, I went through and I also, like, took out uh, from the data instances where it's like uh, where Flash got like frozen in crystal it's like okay yeah it took a long time for him to go from okay here's this challenge to okay I can resolve it like that was a two or three page one even if you remove things like that the total time in conflicts from for that like start to resolution period is uh, uh, it's as much time spent in Martian Manhunter stories on that as in the twice as long uh, Flash and Green Lantern comics. Mm. Like, they stretch those moments out, but even if you take those out, where it's just like the example of uh, Green Lantern and the the missile is a great example. Like, right. here's an immediate threat that is going to be resolved in this scene. Even, like, those, there's more time spent on introduce conflict and resolve it in Martian Manhunter stories. What's really going on is that it's not the amount of pages spent on those imminent conflicts in Martian Manhunter stories, it's the fact that they're splitting that time in so many different directions. Another little bit of uh, useful comparison to Green Lantern and Flash. So, I already mentioned that about three panels... We say Green Arrow and Flash? uh, Green Lantern and Flash, my apologies. Uh, but uh, Martian Manhunter, three panels uh, for start to resolution. Green Lantern and Flash average a full page. Like, they really do. That page matters, man. It really does. It's yeah. the times where 
Flash has that, oh, no, I don't know how to get around this. Uh, Green Lantern, like, looking at the yellow and being like, um, I don't know how to get through that. This is actually tension building, tension building, tension building. Oh, I think I know how I can do this. Uh, and the other thing that, like, another extreme end of this, uh, I sort of talked about those, like, hey, stuck in crystal moments. Uh, or Green Lantern being depowered and having to find ways of escaping uh, by hand. Not the right word, but more or less. For all the Martian Manhunter stories spend a lot of time with the, oh, fire, like, that's again and again a plot point. It never leans into it. Right. The longest that we see uh, John Jones, like, debilitated by fire is five-sixths of a page, five panels. That's the longest it gets. And that's him being like, there's fire nearby, he gets captured, and he goes an entire scene. Like, oh, when when is my chance to break out? Five-sixths of a page. Yeah. Compared to Flash, like, in the crystal, like, that's three pages of Flash legit, I don't know what to do. I'm stuck in crystal. The villain is enacting his plan. I guess a more uh, visual... Con- kinetic well not kinetic but more visual side it's it's not on the same page like you have to literally turn the page to see what happens whereas i mean if if i'm looking at two panels for a john jones story where problem is introduced and right next to it just i'm not even looking down i'm just looking to the right where my eyes would normally be trending the resolution's right right there there. yeah yeah honestly i think the the page turn like cliffhanger is a huge way of like actually you know what? it's not a huge way of increasing uh tension it's a like a threshold yeah below which the tension doesn't exist more or less but yeah so fundamentally that's just kind of what i wanted to look at was to understand a pacing lens like i honestly i think one of the things that I'm starting to take from looking at comics for this podcast is lenses through which to look at comics and stories uh, and first off like see their failings but also understand the things that make comics work right we're kind of Scott McClouding here a little bit yeah and we have a whole lot of examples all right so Justice League Justice League all right transition time right I I liked what they did with Cyborg. I liked him in the movie. They could have spent more time on the, the relationship between him and his father. That's really critical to his entire character. Yeah. I, I would have been down seeing him turn into Cyborg. But that would have taken up too much time, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. But Also, hey, spoilers, by the way. <laughs> just a heads yeah, up. I mean... Uh, we're going to be... I, I think we're just going to be spoiling things left and right. So, yeah. so be aware. Buckle up. But... <laughs> I would have been cool seeing him turn into Cyborg because we didn't get to see Aquaman become Aquaman. We didn't get to see mm. the Flash become the Flash. We needed at least one of those, but it, especially wow, yeah, we didn't get any origin stories. We should have, we should have seen wow. that, be, especially Cyborg because he's tied to Motherbox technology. It would have made a lot more yeah. sense. And that's actually how the new Fifty Two Justice League comic goes: is during the attack, the initial attack from Darkseid, Cyborg becomes Cyborg. You're right. Like, I was going to say, like, 
the way that the Flash one goes is so approachable that I could see that being like a good start. And he's also like one of the, I guess, keystone characters. But you're absolutely right from a narrative standpoint. That one, Cyborg's origin, would have clarified a bunch right. or grounded a bunch of things. Right, because then you could have been like using his fish out of waterness as the as a microcosm for the team being fish out of water working together and fighting this larger group and then the second he gets a handle on who he is what he can do and how he can help everyone also then can rally behind that conviction that he has mm-hmm. but they did what they did and it was okay it could have been better yeah um and that's that's kind of yeah. where we fall on this as a whole. Uh, yeah, might as well do like that overview portion yeah, the, right now. Yeah, the the movie is okay. Could have been better, but it's good. It's a seventy five out of a hundred. It's the it's yeah. the most middle C you can possibly get, but it's better than the other movies that they've been coming out with. And yes. I will say it's a step in the right direction, and I like it. And that's pretty much as as much as I'll give it praise, uh, as good a praise as I'll give it. Yeah, uh, there was a thing that you said, and I don't remember if it's already showed up on the podcast, uh, but that you laughed and smiled yeah. too much not for it to be at least an okay movie. Right. That's that's where I fell on it. Like right. I I take issues with some of the some of the plot elements. Uh I I was a little I was harsher on the Superman return than you were. Uh that that one graded on me, but fundamentally I walked out of there thinking, yeah, I had a good time. It was decent. Yeah. Yeah, which is which is good. Yeah. I mean, it's better for it to be decent than to be terrible also. Yeah. <laughs> like there's no, there's no way it was going to be as good as Wonder Woman because they were shooting it at the same time they were shooting Wonder Woman, which is exactly what I was prepared for. I was prepared for this movie to be decent, and it was exactly decent. So, here's an interesting thing that I just thought about. It feels like... I can't believe I'm saying this. It feels like this kind of delivers on the promise of Suicide Squad. Yeah, it does. It <laughs> like, definitely does. Yeah, and especially like the, uh, like the fact that you... Suicide Squad didn't quite deliver on the fun that was promised by, like, the soundtrack and the kind of punk look of it, the neon. Well, uh, yeah. Yeah, which, you know, whether Suicide that's good Squad, or not is... Yeah, well, Suicide Squad thing. would have been great had we seen all those characters in other movies first. Because that's the whole point of Suicide Squad in, as a comic, is you care about them because you know them as villains. And seeing them interact minus the heroes makes them deeper characters. Having villains with no actual context with their heroes means nothing to anyone. I'll partly agree. I, one way or another, they needed to build attachment to the characters. I think there are a couple different ways you could have done that. That absolutely would have been one of them. And for me, Justice League delivered on the promise of Batman versus Superman. Yes. Because Batman versus Superman did all that stupid dark side stuff they didn't need to do, and it made it pay off. Now, the problem was, now this is... I have a friend who recently saw it and said it was okay, but he thought that the villain was dumb. He's not a huge comic guy like we are, but to him, he's like, the the villain had no stakes. The villain didn't matter. He was just some guy. And I said, well, he was supposed to be the follow-up from Batman versus Superman, and it's kind of the fault of Batman versus Superman to not deliver and make this guy mean something. I like Steppenwolf as a character. He's okay. He's a good stand-in for the holy shit. This is what Darkseid's gonna be. He's gonna be ten times worse than this guy. Like, that's fine. I'm cool with that. Um, it's like the Chitari from the Avengers movie. No one gives a shit about the Chitari. We've <laughs> never seen them ever again. They yeah. literally, their plot devices. Mm-hmm. Using their corpses and their weapons has, be, has made other movies happen. The Chitari mm-hmm. don't matter. Steppenwolf was just a guy leading Chitari. Yeah. Here is 
someone who fits neatly into the archetype of, oh, yeah, angel bad. Yeah, villain dude. And mm-hmm. it's fine. Like, yeah. you don't need them to care about Earth. Like, he's a supervillain. Worse, he's an alien conqueror. That's enough for me. Yeah. Someone trying to come into this world and kill what I love and take over what we know is ours and turn us into monsters is enough for me to be like, yeah, we have to beat him up. And the movie didn't depend on him as a character. No. It depended on him being imposing enough. Right. The movie was about them coming together to beat him. Yeah. I was okay with that because, like, we haven't seen them together for a long enough time to have a villain that they can all sink their teeth into. Should Wolf ever come back, it will matter more. But this will make Darkseid matter because Steppenwolf is his uncle. But it's the idea that the 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 villain that gets them together really doesn't matter. It's them getting together that I cared about more. Yeah. I mean, for God's sake, the first Justice League villain it really, is Starro. It should have been Starro. It should have been Starro the Conqueror. And I, uh, I, no, it makes sense. Now, And I'll tell you why. All right. Because Starro's entire ability is he sends out little mini versions of himself that latch onto people's faces and then turn them into thralls of him, essentially so you can mm-hmm. psychically control them. That would have made Batman do more than what he did in this movie. Because he actually would have been able to fight people as opposed to shoot guns at parademons and turn mm-hmm. it and fight in a mech. He would have been able to, like, hand-to-hand combat and, like, also plan and things like that. And it would have showed Superman having to learn restraint because these are normal people that are just being controlled. Flash mm-hmm. could have trained fighting and saving because fighting people who aren't necessarily an actual danger to him is a perfect way for him to train how to be a superhero. We could have seen Aquaman, like, trying to understand Starro because he's also kind of, like, ichthyological in a sense, and showing Aquaman, like, I can do something that isn't just stabbing stuff with a trident and, and fighting, like, oh, wow, this this is interesting. And Wonder Woman being the leader. Mm-hmm. Like, having Wonder Woman be like, you should do this, you should do this. I, like, commanding them against an army. Not that Batman wouldn't have been able to be, like, helpful, mm-hmm. But he would have been, here's the tech involved in defeating Starro because of the information that we've gained. I can help us. And Wonder Woman's like, okay, here's how we do it. And I would have been down for that, you know. And yes, we wouldn't have had Cyborg. That's, I guess, okay. I'd rather have Cyborg in his own movie. Or in I mean, you can, you can have him in. You just well, don't have the angle of you could Mother have Box him, deck. You could have him in. You could have had him in and then have the Mother Box thing be a shadow for the next movie. Yeah. And Starro doesn't friggin' matter. It's a big starfish <laughs> with a huge eye on it. Like, yeah. it's it's the most Silver Age thing you can think of. I would almost, like, if there's somebody else with more interesting and more kind of, I mean, frankly, more badass iconography, yeah. then great. But yeah, I see, but I see where you're going But with it's it. a straight-up monster. Yeah. And yeah. that's the thing, is it's simple. You don't need to care. I mean, Starro mm-hmm. is semi-intelligent also kind of intelligent like he's a he has a brain and he, and he does think but uh, visually it's a monster mm. the larger the villain is the less human it looks the more we allow as an audience to not give too much of a care about what it actually wants as opposed to we need to stop it yeah and especially in a movie where you're trying to focus on the characters getting together yeah I absolutely agree yeah because if you think about the first Avengers movie the conflict was Loki but he really yeah. wasn't a problem. Like, we showed Loki wasn't an issue by having Hulk manhandle him. Really, That's the so problem good. was the army. Mm-hmm. 
So, mm-hmm. like, when people go, like, oh, the Avengers was so much better, I was like, no, no, you just didn't think too hard about it. It feels like there are certain starting points that are either assumed and agreed upon, especially if they're icons, versus, like, feeling like they need to be uh, laid out. Like, right. Yeah, like, Steppenwolf, especially as a character. You like more setup, and that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Or more gravitas isn't the right word but like more personality yeah. like you don't need to spend more time he just needs to be more snarling and bestial as it is he, he does look very human and you do expect more nuance right. you, you yeah he, yeah you're he, right he needed, on more, he needed more time to be like ultron to mm-hmm. monologue he needed more monologues he needed more like he needed somebody to be held captive to witness him talk to himself yeah. Like, so we could kind of get a feel for, like, what this dude's whole thing is. Like, he was pissed off at Earth because it was the first time he'd ever lost. Having him go through that with a captive, be like, do you understand why I'm here? This is a blight upon my conscience. This is a this is a, a black mark on my perfect record. I need to do this. And, if I, and since I haven't been doing this, my lord's conquest has gone unchanged in those 700 or whatever amount of years, and it is my fault. I cannot go back without winning. And that the family? Right, yeah, like the the family that we kept seeing tons and tons of times, like he could have like been like, no, like don't hurt them. Or like the parademons bring them to him, like what do we do with these people? And he's just like, leave them, like they don't matter. Like they can witness this, they will not (laughs) stop me. You know, like showing his arrogance, like having that... God, and just having a moment where he's like, he monologues, he monologues at them, he monologues at them, and then he turns around and he monologues out into, like, the, away from them, like, upwards at the Toward, sky, yeah. and then he turns around, and they're just gone, and we see, like, the little flash after sparks. Yeah. It's like, what the, boom, we yeah. get the hits. Oh, yeah, like, that would have been great. Like, yeah, okay, having, that would work. Instead of yeah. everyone else giving us information about him, having him, instead of just deliver scary one-liners, would have just made me care more about him. Yeah. That was the the 10% more they could have gone to make that movie instead of a 75 being 80. Yeah. I'm there with you. You know, like, that they were just... They were going 80% on so many things. It's like, if you, if you had just gone 90%, you would have been <laughs> an 80. And if you had gone, like, a 95, you would have been an 85. And if you had done 100% on all these things, it would have been a 90. Because it still was missing some stuff. Yeah. But yeah, so, one way or another, uh, we are generally, like... I, I can't say generally positive, but if nothing else, we yeah. had fun no, with Justice you, League. No, if you go into it thinking it's going to be like meh, you're going to be happy with it. Yeah. Like, you're literally... That was exactly where I was at. Uh, I think that'll... Yeah, I think that'll wrap us up for Martian Manhunter and Justice League. What do we got next? The Trinity. I kind of want to start with Superman. Let's do it. So, get ready. It's, uh, it's about to happen. So... Y'all we're, ready for this? Yeah, we're, we're back to the Trinity very soon, guys. So thanks for sticking with us for all these new characters, and we will see you all next time. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and dcdetectivespodcast.com. We gave him some pointers, but when we left, one thing stuck with us. In the conversation, he'd mentioned the Justice League. We'd seen the League splinter over Maxwell Lord and stand against parademons, but this was a different era. We had no idea what the League would look like in a land of silver. That night, we booked tickets for Metropolis. 
before we could see the league, we had to go back to the Trinity.